If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor. And it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection. And I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hello there and welcome to the Behind the Mirror podcast. I am so happy you are with us today. Last week, we didn't have an episode because it was the blessed Thanksgiving week, and I'm sure you were crazy busy with family. I was crazy busy with family, except I was busy because all of my kids were sick. We had the stomach flu, we had the cold flu virus, and we got strep throat. It was just a week of all kinds of sicknesses. So I didn't have a voice, which was why you didn't hear from me last week. And not only that, I had a lot of little ones who needed my attention. So our Thanksgiving day was kind of a bummer because we didn't get to hang out with all the family that we were hoping we would. Um, there was a lot of juggling of guests and a lot of juggling of family and a juggling of sick kids trying to not get anybody else sick. So we got a bunch of snow though, which was super fun. And during that wonderful blizzard of a snowstorm that I just kind of geek out about, we all got better. Antibiotics are fantastic. And we kind of had a Thanksgiving do-over. So all was not lost. We ended up getting our house guests to come back and we just hung out and the kids played in the snow and we had leftovers and it was just a glorious, redemptive day. So for those of you who are like diehard listeners and you were like, wait, why wasn't there a show last week? That's the reason. So I'm back. We are all healthy. We are all well. I have my voice back. And we are kicking off this episode with a special guest. Her name is Bonnie Christian. And she has a new book out. And that book is called A Flexible Faith, Rethinking What It Means to Follow Jesus Today. The cool thing about this writer is she writes a lot about theology and politics, which is a rare combo these days, and why I wanted to have her on the show. She is currently an editor at The Week and a fellow at Defense Priorities, which I didn't even know what that was. And I asked her in the interview what that was because I don't even know what that is. So she has fascinating hats that she wears during the day. She's appeared in a lot of publications, including Time, CNN, Politico, The Hill, Relevant Magazine, Rare, The American Conservative, and a lot more. She graduated from Bethel Seminary with her MA in Christian Thought, and she is just a wealth of knowledge. And I so enjoyed picking her brain, and I know that you will totally enjoy our conversation. We cover all kinds of things about faith and politics. But we also talk about diversity. That's a big thing that she um, talks about a lot. It's something she's passionate about is figuring out how to not let diversity ruin relationships and ruin churches and how we can all learn from each other and live in the same space while still being civil, which, oh my goodness, we need so much more of that today, right? 
one of my other favorite things we dive into is she has what she calls the five top things you need to pay attention to and look for when church shopping, which I know a lot of you have left your communities of faith and are kind of wandering in a wilderness of sorts, wondering where to plug yourself in or if you even want to plug yourself in. If you decide to go hunting for a new community of faith, these five tips are awesome. There are five specific things you need to look for. And so that was one of the highlights of our conversation for me. I really enjoyed that part of our conversation. There's so much we get into and I can't wait for you to meet her. But before we tackle this yummy episode, I want to say that I am so thankful for all of you. In the spirit of Thanksgiving, although I know I'm a week late, I'm thankful for all of you, and I'm thankful for the journeys that you share with me, and especially those in our Facebook community. I've really gotten a up-close look at your lives and your stories, and it is such an honor to get to be a part of all of that. So I love you guys. I'm thankful for you guys, and I love the work that I get to do here with you. If you're not in the Facebook community, you are invited to join in. You can opt in on my website, just a jesusfollower.com backslash podcast, backslash podcast group. And also my Patreons. Oh my goodness. I am like over the moon thankful for you guys because you guys are the backing for this project and the backing for this community that has formed here. So if you would like to join in our Patreon community, you can find out more about how to do that again on my website, just a jesusfollower.com and click on the button Patreon. Again, so thankful for all of you. Enjoy connecting and hearing and learning from all of you and all of your stories as well. And I really am excited to introduce you to this guest. So without any further ado, here we go. Welcome back to the Behind the Mirror podcast. Today, I am joined by Bonnie Christian, and she is the author of A Flexible Faith, Rethinking What It Means to Follow Jesus Today. So hi, Bonnie. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. So first of all, the title says so much. I absolutely love it. And I know that a lot of my listeners are going to like be piqued with interest just with that in that title because we talk so much about the idea of following Jesus in this culture on this podcast. So I'm so excited to pick your brain. And before we dive into all the juicy stuff about your book and all of the things inside that lovely mind of yours, I saw on your bio that you graduated from Bethel University. Yeah, um, from the, so I went for seminary. Yes. And I'm assuming that's the one in Nashville, right? No, actually, it's uh, it's the one in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, so very far away from Nashville. Very far. Okay, because I grew up in Nashville, and it was like the college to go was Bethel. <laughs> and oh. so, yes, and so I saw Bethel, and I was like, oh my gosh, did she come from Nashville too? But now I'm guessing not. No, I um, I did live about forty miles outside of Nashville when I was a toddler, but uh, in different Bethel. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that counts. Any part of Tennessee counts. I love Tennessee. I miss it. So can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you come from, all that good stuff? Sure. Um, so I I grew up very much in sort of evangelical contexts. Um, we were in the church whenever the doors were open, is how my mother liked to put it. Um, and uh, I went to uh, college in Virginia and then worked for a few years after that in uh, sort of the D.C. area. And then I went to seminary here in Minnesota, and that's where we've been ever since. Um, and so on a, a day-to-day basis, the work I do um, is more news and political writing. Um, sometimes some theology gets in there, but um, usually more politically focused. And then this is my first book. I love it. I love it. And the fact that you have a mind that wants to write and speak on theology and on politics seems to be so rare. And and, and that's why you really caught my interest and I wanted to have you on the show because that's such a unique combo that gives you such a different perspective than so many people have. So one of the things that I love about your book is that it really jumps into the whole wide variety of theological differences that so many churches and denominations all have. And I think a lot of people grow up, like you said, you know, with going to church every time the doors were open. I was the same way. And when you grow up like that, you really think that your way has been the only way through all of history and that you're the one that has got it right and it's always been this way. And yet history just doesn't tell that story. So I know you have a little bit of history in the influence of this book. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it's a great point um, and, and sort of a reminder of everybody thinks they're right about everything all the time, right? I mean, that's that's natural and normal. And if we thought that we were wrong about something, we would change our minds on that. And then we'd be completely right again. Um, And that's not a bad thing. It's not unreasonable. Um, Like I said, I think that's normal for how our minds work. Um, But I do think what you mentioned about sort of the the perspective that maybe a greater awareness of church history and sort of the current state of the church around the globe today, hopefully that brings us a sort of humility to say, you know, I want to be right. I think that I write, I'm right. I hope that I'm right. Um, but is it, is it likely that I, you know, some random person in, in Minnesota in 2018, I'm the one person in like the whole history of the faith and the world and the one who got it all figured out? Probably not. It's possible, but it is unlikely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I think just a lack of awareness of church history really contributes to that. Um, and Protestants, we're, we're probably the worst about that. Yeah. Historically speaking, too. Mm-hmm. And so when you when you think about the church and its trajectory, where it's come from and where it is today, what do you see any patterns? Like, do you notice any similarities when you look backwards to where we are today? Does anything jump out at you in the work that you do that you can pick up and say, oh, this looks familiar? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, two things that jump out at me right now is... One, for people um, in, in the West, the United States and Europe in particular, there's a exposure to different kinds of faith, different ways of following Jesus that, that really didn't exist in the same way in the past. Um, you know, if you 
lived somewhere 100, 200 years ago, there's a strong chance you you never went more than 20 miles from where you were born. And so, you know, there's a, a church in your neighborhood and that's the one you go to and that's the only one there is. And you, you know, are maybe sort of aware that these other denominations exist, but you don't necessarily really come in a whole lot of contact with them. Whereas now, you know, all this information is available. You're moving and traveling and, and seeing, you know, maybe 20 churches in a, a single day as you drive around town. Um, and so that that exposure, the difference, I think, is legitimately new um, and not something that even in times of upheaval in the past, like the during the Protestant Reformation, I don't think the average person really encountered so much difference, especially in their daily lives. And then the other thing that I would say um, that I think about a lot is that so the, we're, we're getting to the point where the certainly all of the growth um, and the, the majority of people who are Christians in the world are in Asia, Africa and Latin America and not so much the, the Western world anymore. And they tend to be um, very, very Pentecostal down there, um, whether Catholic or Protestant. There's that tendency towards Pentecostal and charismatic forms of Christianity. And they're just having like different conversations, different debates than we are here. And so, yeah, I I sort of wonder how that's going to go for us in the future where like we're arguing about things like gay marriage. That's not really a huge debate in a lot of those places. Um, And as we become ever more the minority, like how does that, what, what does that say about the relevance of our our arguments, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you, okay, I'm curious now, what major debates are those other places having? Like, are they the same? Yeah. I don't know if I can give you like a, a great idea of debates they are having as opposed to the ones they aren't. And to, from what I understand, at least, you know, I, I'm not in, in those places, but from what I understand, they're not really having a lot of sort of the social issues conversations that we're having. Um, Things like roles of women, uh, same-sex relationships that are, are really, you know, the things that we get in our Twitter wars about, that's just sort of a settled matter in many of those places, at least at this point. Gotcha. Gosh, that's interesting. So it will be interesting to see how everything kind of moves along as as the whole world is moving forward politically, socially, economically, like how all of that will piece together. That's fascinating. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see for sure. And I have no idea what it will, how that will go. (laughs) Right. I know our kids need to like document all of this stuff for us because we will probably not see the fruit of all of this upheaval because there is so much. um, And maybe it truly goes back to what you said earlier that we're so much more interconnected than we ever have been. And so the conversations that we're privy to now, like you said, that's a new, I think that's a new thing. Yeah. I mean, so for example, my denomination, um, which is fairly small, but with the way that it's shrinking and the way that the same denomination in Bolivia is growing, um, the Bolivian church is on track to have more people than the United States church within like, it's like 15 or 20 years or something. It's like a short time. This tiny little country is going to have more in our denomination than the whole of the United States. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so on that track, like the whole diversity track, which is a big issue, and I don't even like calling it an issue because I love diversity, but 
it tends to be a big dividing <laughs> dividing force <laughs> in a lot of church groups and communities of faith. And you are very passionate, clearly, about writing and speaking about diversity. So what what is the motive for you behind that? Like what drives you to do that so much? Yeah. So some of the words you mentioned, I think, really get at why it's of interest and import to me, which is um, it can be a source of division. And there's and, you know, we think tend to think of diversity as a good thing and division as a negative thing. Um, And there's a sense in which it is negative, right? Like it would be sort of the ideal if we all just we're right together if we all just, you know, knew the one truth about all these theological questions and we all agreed and everyone was completely unified, that would be ideal. Um, And I think, you know, when Christ has returned and all of that, the resurrection happens, we will be in that state, but but that's not going to happen, like just realistically anytime soon. Like I'm all for ecumenical cooperation, but I don't think we're going to all just merge back into one global church again. Um, Mm. in, in, you know, any, yeah, my lifetime, certainly. Um, and so then for me, the question becomes given that this is the reality, um, is there a way that this can be, um, not, not just sort of this sad thing, but also something that can be a strength and something that we can use to, to build the kingdom as opposed to just mourning this, this division. And so that's where I think, um, you know, understanding, theological disagreement about questions that are not um, not at the core of our faith. Like we're not talking about, you know, is Jesus God? We're talking about like, how old should you be when you're baptized? Um, questions around disagreements and, and differences around that can be a strength, I think, um, especially for people who have reached maybe a, a point of crisis in their faith, a point of questioning, and maybe can't stay in the the context of, of church that they know. Um, but there are other types of church and let's explore those. And maybe you just need to, to go to a different denomination or something. Um, and so being aware of and understanding the diversity that exists within the universal church um, gives us that sort of flexibility and that ability to um, find a new home still within the faith after those times of crisis. Well, and I don't think I've ever seen so much diversity. And I know that I'm coming from a 30-somethings point of view, but but it feels like so much has shifted even in my lifetime where, I mean, some people I'm having conversations with, it's not a disagreement over, like you said, the baptism thing. It's like one of them is completely turning into an atheist and their spouse is still holding on to fundamental beliefs. Mm-hmm. And so there are so many broader conversations that I've never heard had in a same household. You know what I'm saying? It's where people start on the same page, but then life and events and transition and new beliefs and new explorations of faith put them in a place that's so different from where they started. And so I have found even myself going, whoa, these are conversations I didn't expect to walk into. (laughs) It's just so diverse. And so how, like what what advice would you give to someone, say, who finds themselves in that position where they are in their denomination that they've always been in, but now they're thinking differently? Now they're thinking, wait, I don't agree with everything my denomination stands for. What advice would you have for someone in that position? Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing to remember is that your denomination, however great it has been for you in the past, 
is not the entirety of the church. And this is something that I think um, people in pastoral positions might struggle with saying, and understandably so, right? Because, you know, they, they are, believe they're teaching the right thing, and so they want to keep people there. Um, but it's, it's not like there's a whole big church out there that's, that's much bigger than the one denomination. And there's a chance that, um, you know, other, other denominations maybe have some things more right than, than we do in any given denomination. And so for people who are saying, you know, I can't with intellectual and spiritual integrity stay where I am. Um, I would say, you know, just, that doesn't mean you have to make the the immediate full leap to atheism, right? Like there's, there are right. so many other alternatives out there. Um, and, and that's really why I wrote a flexible faith was to say, you know, here's a, a compact way for you to explore those in a way that feels manageable and, um, you know, doesn't require you to go have a whole seminary degree or spend weekends in the library or something. Right. Well, and there there is such diversity within denominations, which if you've only been a part of one, you really don't know that. And I think that, I think this is from your book, or maybe it was on one of your blogs, where I think the question you posed was, what happens to the believer who has been taught the single branch is the whole tree? Mm-hmm. And I, I read that and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so that's so good because so many people have been taught that. So give us, give us your thoughts on that. Well, I think, like I said, it's well-intentioned. Like, I don't think anyone is, um, you know, sort of maliciously giving people that impression. Um, but it is really easy to get that impression. And so if you never come to that point of, um, sort of a crisis of faith, you, you might never even feel any cause to sort of explore further and figure out, what other expressions um, of, of Christianity are out there. And and that, I think, has its own problems as well, because then, you know, it, it becomes a question of, is it okay for us to, you know, sort of work with those other churches? Like, can we partner with the Lutherans on a food kitchen? Like, is it is it okay? Are they too, we, we sort of become suspicious of each other, sort of scared of each other um, and questioning, like, you know, are they really Christians? Um, and so, yeah, I think getting getting too stuck into thinking that your own thing is the whole thing is very dangerous. Oh, my gosh, that's so true. And that's so good. And I think that's true about anything, which is why it's so true, <laughs> because you can apply that to just about anything in life and realize, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. That is a slippery slope. And there's so much caution tape that should be wrapped around that. Um One of my favorite things that you talk about is the five important things to consider as you church shop or look for a church or whatever terminology you want to put on it. Um, And I want you to give us the goods on that because so many people listening to this podcast, that's the space they're in. They are like, whoa, I am rethinking things. I am disagreeing with things. There is tension here. And I'm shopping, but I, I don't know how to do this. And this feels scary. And I don't know what I'm doing. And I just want to call it quits. So tell us, what are the five things to consider when looking for a new church? Sure. Um, so the first one I put is community. And I put that, um, you know, I think sort of our, our, at least my natural tendency would be to put theology first. Um, but I put community first. And I think that that's, it's especially important in 
in the present time, we, we tend to be sort of a lonely time. Like I think a, a couple months ago, there was a lot of headlines about how the United Kingdom appointed, created a new position um, in their national government. It was called like a minister for loneliness or something because people are, are so lonely. Mm. Um, and so I think community life um, is, is really important to consider first and foremost, when you go to a church, you know, sort of ask yourself, like, am I going to actually like meet people and know people here and be like integrated into the life of this community in a really meaningful way? And are these people going to be integrated into my life in a meaningful way? And so one thing that I talk about a lot that I think is um, super, super important for community life is geography, which is to say, if you live far from your church, you will not be meaningfully engaged in the community. Um, from, and how far, you know, it's going to depend on where you live. For me, it's if I live more than 10 minutes away, like I just know I might get there Sunday mornings and that's going to be it. Um, other people, it may be a little further. Certainly, if you live in a rural area, much further, but as close as you can be, the better. Um, and then I think also closely related to that, and this has a lot to do with your own personality, is just the size of the congregation. Um, so when I moved up to Minnesota, there was a church that we were sort of familiar with that we thought we would go to. And then my husband and I are both pretty introverted. We got there and it's a, a large congregation. Like I would say any given service probably has four or 500 people. We got there and we just realized we're, we're never going to meet anybody here. It's too big. Um, and just like knowing ourselves, like we knew that that wouldn't happen for us. Mm. That's the first thing. Um, the second one is theology, which of course I think is key. Um, but I think that there's it's it's important to remember that you're probably not going to find a congregation where you have a hundred percent agreement. Um, yeah. And the degree of agreement that you demand, I think, can depend on some of your expectations, like for how long you're going to be there. So if you're say like at college or you're on a one year job assignment somewhere where there's like a, a limited period of time that you're going to be there, um, you know maybe you prioritize some of the other. Uh, categories like community life a little bit higher than you normally would. And you tolerate some theological disagreement that you can sort of supplement with, you know, podcasts or, or listening to other churches, sermons or books or whatever in your spare time. Um, and I say that because, you know, you can get good theology from elsewhere pretty easily now, um, mm -hmm. but you're not going to be able to get like good community life on the internet. Um, right. So yeah. Theology is important. Um, and so I would say that's the second one. The third one is service, which is um, pretty straightforward. Is the church you are looking at, do they actually do things in their community? And are those things that you can participate in? Um, fourth is structure. And this one sounds really boring. It's stuff like, um, you know, are there who makes the decisions? Like, is there an elder board? How do they allocate their money? Um, are there like bishops higher up that can like overrule stuff in your local denomination or is it sort of the, the denomination maker, the congregation makes all its own calls? Um, and these, this sounds really sort of like not that exciting, but it can tell you a lot, I think, about what a church values and how it's going to function in daily life. And if you're making especially like a long-term commitment to this congregation where you might be participating in some of that governance eventually, it's good to know what it's going to be like. And then the last one is style, which is, um, you know, the, the sort of thing we tend to notice first and can very easily over-prioritize, I think. 
um, things like music and, and you know, do they have a passing of pace? Do they use PowerPoint? Um, and the thing, while that stuff does matter, you know, obviously it's not great to go to a church where you just sort of instinctively hate their music or something. Um, I would emphasize that you can you can learn to deal with pretty much any style. Um, and so if the, the other four things are good and the style is maybe not to your taste, um, consider going anyway. And, you know, with time, it'll sort of become maybe not something you love, but something that's familiar and comfortable in the way that like, you know, your mom's clothes are not <laughs> maybe to your taste, but it's your mom. And so, you know, you're good with it. Right. Oh my gosh. I love all of that so much. And my favorite is that you put community first, because like you said, especially in this climate right now, theology, theology, theology seems to be the talking point. But gosh, that community piece, we are living in a culture that is so lonely. And that is one thing I hear over and over again from my readers and from people listening to this podcast is that they just feel like they are the only ones going through whatever they're going through. And for a lot of them, it's a crisis of faith or a deconstruction, mm -hmm. just a mass number of things. But gosh, that community piece, especially if you go from being in a church and then deciding this is not a good fit for me anymore. I have moved past this. This was my childhood. This was my adolescence, whatever. But I, I now align more with this over here. Leaving that community can be such a loss. And a lot of people go through grief real grief and grieving what they had in that familial community. So I think it's hard for people to insert themselves in a new community. And you talked about that being introverted, you and your husband, it's like you could sense right away, like, <laughs> oh, this is not a place where we could insert ourselves. It's hard. Yeah, it is. And, and I think, um, you know, especially if you're going through a crisis, like you said, community becomes so important, but then also even at just super practical level, like I hear and read from people, especially like in their twenties, you've moved to a new city after college, you, but you don't, people don't know how to make friends as adults. Um, like yeah. if you're not friends with your coworkers, it's just like, okay, well, what do I, what do I do now? <laughs> Where are the people? Um, and I, I, I think a, a lot of that really goes back to, um, well, churches is where, where the people are. And so find a, a church that has, you know, people in it that you can be friends with. And, um, when we moved, uh, to, to the twin cities, we knew no one in the whole state of Minnesota. Um, and it was, it was very lonely and we had a, a very difficult time, um, meeting anyone. Uh, we lived in a duplex with a downstairs neighbor who was so mean. We had had hopes for her and that did not work out. And so by the time we, we found our church, it was like, you know, coming to the oasis after the desert of like, oh my gosh, there's people here. They want to talk to us. <laughs> right. Okay. And so I'm going to get really real with you about this part because I know, I know this has been part of my journey and a lot of other people's journeys too. So I'm curious your thoughts about this. When you find a church and you think, I have found my community, I have found my place, and you insert yourself and you are doing the, the service thing and you are lining up, you think, with their theology and you like the way the church is structured, the way it runs, and you're liking the style, whatever, everything seems to fit. And then you get connected, you get close, but then, but then some subject comes up and you realize it is like we talked about earlier, it's a dividing subject. 
and you find yourself on the outside of that subject. And then all of a sudden, your friends and your community that you thought you were forming, it's like they side eye you now. It's like they're looking at you now in a way that they weren't looking at you before. Yeah, it's a it's a tough question. Um, and I think it raises two questions like from your side, is this like a deal breaker issue for you? Um, because, you know, that of course, we all have issues that are, are super important to us for whatever reason, personally. And then from from sort of the broader congregation side, like, are they willing to let that difference exist within the group? And some some churches will be and, and some churches definitely won't. Yeah, I know. And that to me, that's the one when you talk about, you know, following Jesus mm-hmm. in this culture today, that's the one thing that always pops out at me is that he was over, over and over again, more interested in relationship than he was like a set agreed upon beliefs. And I, that's one thing that I continue to struggle with, with the modern church today is that relationships seem to be a second priority. Like your list, you have community first and then theology second. I think that's how it should be. I think that models Jesus, but so many churches just aren't set up that way. Yeah, it's tricky. And I've, I I mentioned this in the in the book for about um, two years, I guess, right before I got married, I was attending a church where I had some pretty significant differences um, with them on a number of issues. Roles of women was a big one. Um, but what I knew that I was only going to be there short term and what I valued about this community was that uh, they were good with a certain amount of difference. Like they had one pastor who was a Calvinist and one pastor who was not um, and the congregation oh was split on this subject as well. Um, and so like that sort of willingness to have both, um, you know, I recognized that I was going to be in the minority on on some pretty key issues, but it was like, well, you know, I know they're not going to try to kick me out over this because they, they're okay with, with having that, di- those differences coexist. Right. Well, it's like that, um, the Jewish tradition where they have historically, this whole mantra of we sit, we wrestle, we disagree, we look at scripture from all these different angles, and we can argue and be frustrated and go through all of those healthy debate moments, but then leave arm in arm, mm. like buddy, buddy, you know, and there's such health and beauty in that. And, and it just that example where you have one pastor that's a Calvinist and one that's not, I have never heard of that. And I was a pastor myself. I've never heard of that. That's crazy. It was crazy. But I love that. It, and it really, it rarely, it rarely was an issue. Like sometimes, you know, one pastor would be preaching and you would be like, uh, I don't know that I quite agree with his interpretation on that. But, you know, maybe he's not preaching next week. So it, you're not going to hear it for that long. <laughs> Oh, that's so healthy. If if so many other churches could embrace having on their pastoral staff <laughs> people with different theological beliefs, it could be so well-rounded and healthy. I love that. I absolutely love that. I want to just turn a little bit different direction here because on your bio, it says you are a fellow at Defense Priorities. And just reading that, I was like, oh my gosh, this girl is so cool. Who has that <laughs> on their bio? That's amazing. But then I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so can you share, teach us, what is that? Um, so Defense Priorities is, it's relatively new. I, I guess we started in 20, 
2016, maybe early 2016. I, I'm not exactly sure, which is bad, but um, it's basically a, a small think tank. Um, sometimes I call it a, a foreign policy shop because think tanks seem sort of like bigger and more grandiose. Um, but basically we have, um, you know, an, a team of uh, academics and then also people who are, are more um, working writers like me. And so um, and we, we do a lot of like placing of op-eds on foreign policy topics. And so I write usually one to two um, foreign policy related articles for them a week. And then they will like go around to different uh, news outlets and say, hey, do you want to publish this? And sometimes they say yes. That's awesome. So this, and I've and I've caught this in your writing, you write a lot about politics, and I absolutely love that. And right now, um, it feels like, and I'm and I'm wondering how this how this ties in with your role that you play there and the role that you play in your other writing and just your background. All of this is so fascinating to me because it seems like for the first time in a while, faith and politics are so connected right now. And it's such a, um, it's like they're walking hand in hand, which, and I know we live in a country where there's separation of church and state, but I've, I've never felt politics goes so tightly with people's personal faith and their personal convictions. Um, so what, what are you seeing in your position? What are you seeing how people are reacting to this dynamic that we're experiencing right now where there's so much passion tied on both sides of the party lines? How are you seeing people react on both sides to that dynamic? Yeah, I think the main thing that I see is that there's, um, well, I don't know if, if the, the people like participating in this really recognized an uncertainty, but I think there's an uncertainty in how should your faith and politics interact um, in that, like, so do you, do you want to be suggesting, you know, my way of doing politics is the Christian way of doing politics? Um, and I think many people sort of just assume like, yeah, you do. Like if I am a Christian and these are my political beliefs and, you know, I can back them up often with, you know, biblical principles or, or they're inspired by my faith. Well, then clearly this is the, the most Christian way of doing politics. Um, and, you know, so maybe people who are on the other side of the aisle from me, perhaps in a pretty dramatic way these days, are, are they Christians really? Um, to the point that I've even, you know, seen discussions where people are saying, you know, if I'm honest about it, I feel closer to people who are uh, agree with me politically and aren't Christians than I do to fellow Christians who have different political beliefs. Mm. And I understand you know, why that's happening. Like, I, I totally understand why, if you have, you know, real strong opinions on, on an issue like immigration, for example, why you feel maybe closer to the people who agree with you on that than Christians who disagree. Um, and I, I like the, in terms of like the ethics of it, like where this is a, you know, a strongly held ethical position, like I get that. But I also think there's a real risk there in, you know, making the politics take priority over the faith and, and saying, you know, this person's um, same allegiance to Jesus, however much I disagree with how they're working that out, is of less import than how they're voting. That's very troubling to me. Um, and so trying to, to, you know, talk about both of these issues without saying, 
you know, my way of doing politics is the Christian way of doing politics is something I think about a lot and, and sort of have to, um, watch myself, I guess, especially when I'm writing about like at that intersection real explicitly. Mm. Gosh, that is so challenging. And, and I think everybody right now, unless you're completely checked out of politics, which I don't know that I could blame anybody for feeling like they want to check out right now, but Gosh, it is hard to not feel like, well, like you said, we think we're right about everything. So it's so hard to not feel like, well, I'm doing this because I am being an ambassador for Jesus and Jesus would certainly back X, Y, Z. And like you said, we find our verses and we find our convictions and we, we stand for what we believe, which isn't a bad thing, but gosh, it is hard to be gracious and kind and understanding of other points of view when you are taking something politically and wrapping your faith all around it. That's really hard. It's very messy. And I, I think one thing that that helps me sometimes at least is reminding myself that there are people that um, I've known or that I, you know, look up to for some reason, um, you know, have figures from history or what have you, who are are in many ways better Christians than I will probably ever be Um, and who would have, you know, deep political disagreements with me. Um, And so remembering sort of those contrasts, I think helps and help keep some of the the more immediate contrasts with people that I'm encountering in daily life right now um, can help keep those in a little more perspective. Well, and I wonder too, going back to our Westernized culture, I I wonder if it isn't partly so um, heated right now simply because of our attachment and obsession with social media and how mm. much we just use social media to scream at the world where we stand on, you know, three topics. And those three topics make people decide to like you or not like you <laughs> rather than looking at the full person and saying, I bet there's more to you than those three topics. It's true. And, you know, I think it's become a cliche to say this and then, you know, maybe not actually live by it. But, it, you know, if we were interacting with, with this, these people that we encounter on social media in real life, like just sort of basic politeness would keep us from saying like 99 percent of the things that we say. Um, and yeah, as much as I, you know, I totally get why people are super engaged with politics right now. Um, but is it? necessarily like mentally healthy for the average person who has all of their like regular real life work and home concerns to also be spending so much mental energy, like worrying about politics day in and day out. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably not. Um, It's a little bit different for me because it's my job to think about it. Um, But when I think about most people that I know who it's not their job to think about it, they're not getting paid to think about these things. Uh, you know, I sort of often just want to tell them like, you know, hey, you can you can take some time off from that. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's hard because it is such an engaging topic and it's really hard. It's yeah. like the juicy gossip at the water fountain at work, right? Like it's hard to not be drawn <laughs> in because you want to know, oh, what did so-and-so say? What did they say? What did that media outlet say? And it's hard not to be like, drawn into that world. But once you're in it, like you said, it's it's not really mentally healthy. And I, I was listening to somebody the other day, and now I'm blanking on his name. He's also a writer, but he was saying that he believes our country is suffering from PTSD, from the overindulgence of social media and how much our brains, historically, we are not 
capable of handling this amount of information that we're taking in now on a daily basis. It's too much. Yeah, I can totally see that. And something I often recommend to people is like, you know, I I get you want to be engaged politically, like there are good, you know, moral reasons to be engaged politically. Um, But just like pick, you know, maybe your handful of issues that you're going to be engaged about. And, you know, stay informed on those, develop a sort of, you know, expertise on those, like do your activism on those, and then just ignore the rest because you don't have the brain space to like do justice to the full range of issues. Like just realistically, you don't and trust that other people will handle those topics that you can't get to. Right. And that's the key right there is that I don't know that people feel like they have permission. And I say that Mm. coming from my own personal point of view too. You feel like an obligation, maybe that's the right word, to engage Mm -hmm. and to have a loud opinion. And and I don't, but sometimes I feel guilt about that. Like, oh, am I not saying enough about this? Am I not jumping in enough about that? Am I not doing my part? You know? Yeah. And just like you said, like, it's okay to not be engaged on every single minute of it. And it's okay to unplug from all of that for a while. It's, you have permission. You're not a bad citizen for disengaging (laughs) from the arguing. Like you're okay to do that. And I think that's the same across the board with all the church division. Like it's okay to not necessarily make that your obsessive compulsive thing that you think about 24 seven. It's okay to let go of that. And I think at a at a really in a really practical sense, having a healthy local church community that you are engaged in will will just help with that sort of thing by default, right? Like if you're spending time in you know real life with members of your church and in not just on Sunday morning, you're going to have less time to be like screaming at people on Twitter. Well, and the whole proximity thing comes into play too, because when you are doing life with people, and I know a lot of people who have checked out of church for a while, too much damage, I get it. And they are going more towards the, I want to do life with people in my home day in, day out. Mm-hmm. I want mm-hmm. I want Bible studies that way. I want quote unquote church that way. Fine. I think that's great. But that that proximity piece, when you jump out of a box, whether it be a, a church building or not, but you get into life with people, it's really hard to hate somebody over a political difference. It's really hard to hate somebody up close. Yeah. And I think being close like that, you know, it's just as much as you by all means, like still have a very firm, you know, convictions on on these political questions, but you understand that the other person you know, who you're seeing in your home every week for Bible study or whatever, that they're not monsters for disagreeing. You might think they're, you know, really deeply wrong and you're so confused at how they can think that and be like these nice, reasonable people. But you understand that they're not like, you know, monsters who want to destroy America and murder a bunch of people. (laughs) Well, you see them as human beings, which is what we all at our core are. And all of us want to be seen and heard and connected with. That's it. And that was my favorite thing about Jesus and still is, is that he mastered that with every person in front of him. And getting back to that, I imagine can ease off some of the gas of all of these arguing moments of theological debate or political debate or what have you, which is, of course, such a beautiful, beautiful segue here back to your book, because that feels like to me so much of the heart behind your book is bridging all of those conversations, bridging those gaps and bringing people to a table where they can sit there and not kill each other, but find some sort of camaraderie together. 
Yeah, I think so. And and not to erase the differences by any means. Like I'm not expecting that we're all going to come to to agreement in the end right. um, on all these questions. But you know, to to sort of understand why do other people think the way they do? You know, oh, it's not actually a heresy. They just disagree about these things. Right, and that's okay. That's okay. I love your work. I love what you're doing, the conversations you're having. I love it so much. So tell people where they can find you, where they can find your book, and where they can find your work. Sure. Um, so I, my website is bonniechristian.com, and the last name is spelled K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. Um, and so you can find there usually sort of the most recent stuff that I'm writing on a day-to-day basis. And then up in the top navigation, there's a I think it's my book. You can read about the book there. Um, and that includes links to all the places to buy on Amazon and um, Barnes and Noble and all those places. Um, and then there, the website also has um, links to me on Twitter where it's at Bonnie Christian and Instagram, which apparently is real important for the marketing these <laughs> days. I don't know. <laughs> um, is Bonnie.Christian. Um yeah, and so the the website has ways to other ways to get in touch with me as well if they just want to submit a question or um, like I have a one feature that I really like about my website is that you can put in a question uh, for me to answer as a blog post. So if it's like a general thing that other people might benefit from, then everyone can read it, which is really nice. Um, so yeah, I, I would love to hear from uh, anyone who wants to get in touch. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for being so honest and so brave in your work and for not only sharing it here, but sharing it in all of the arenas that you have your hand in. I just, I respect it so much. So thank you so much again for coming on here and sharing some of your wisdom and knowledge with us. Thank you. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.